and welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money. Hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right, are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello and welcome to Your Killer Life, a podcast where we talk about the really real realities of a killer diagnosis like breast cancer with a focus on health, hope, and happiness as we build an intentional killer life. I'm your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and thank you so much for listening in. I have a question for you. Have you explored naturopathic medicine or an integrative approach to your cancer care? Well, today's topic and guest is an exciting one for me. I personally did go down this path and did have an integrative approach. And in talking with other breasties, I'm always a little amazed that there are still yeah, some folks out there so that much, don't Tammy. know uh, really about integrative approaches and, and naturopathic medicine or even um, what a naturopathic so, oncologist yeah, um, is. So my guest today, survivor. Dr. Amina Keats, she has her doctorate in naturopathic medicine, and she completed a two-year hospital-based residency in integrative oncology at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. After that, she continued to work as a naturopathic oncology clinician and later directed an integrative oncology department and residency program. As a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology, Dr. Amina specializes in integrative oncology care and maintains her general practice, her general medicine practice, using modalities that include clinical nutrition, botanical medicines, IV nutrient therapy, supplementation, detoxification, homeopathy, and lifestyle counseling. Dr. Amina, I am so excited to have you as my guest today and so excited for this conversation. I know this is going to be one of the more popular episodes. I look forward to doing some myth-busting today. And before we get into that and all the questions, though, you've practiced naturopathic medicine for 15 years, and clearly you have a passion for supporting patients in their path to healing and wellness. How did you discover naturopathic medicine? Uh, yes. So how did I discover naturopathic medicine? So I stumbled across naturopathic medicine when I was a senior in college. I was reading a newspaper and I saw an ad posted by a local naturopathic doctor who was offering a class on nutrition and herbs, which was something that I had always been interested in. My mom kind of laid that foundation for me. And as soon as I took his course, immediately I just connected with it and I knew that that was something that I had to pursue. So I did the research, found the schools, applied, and here I am X number of years later. So that, that, that's my story. Oh my gosh, I love it. So now there are all kinds of, just like with any uh, medical practice, there are different areas of specialty and you chose, although we mentioned you do still have your general practice, but you also chose to focus on oncology. What was the, what, what sort of ignited that passion for you? Yeah, so that was um, kind of a, a surprise for me in terms of landing in, in that place. But um, the, the, the first connection that I have is that my aunt was actually diagnosed with breast cancer before I actually learned about naturopathic medicine. And, um, you know, at that time, I didn't understand it, but I certainly did see her path. And it was difficult for all of us, obviously. She was, she was very dear to our family and she passed away from it. And, um, it definitely stayed with me after that. And then when I ended up in naturopathic medical school, one of my advisors recommended that I research or at least look into a naturopathic or integrative oncology residency program. And so those two things kind of merged together and, um, you know, I pursued it. And since then, it's just something that I've just really connected so deeply with. And so here I am. 
I love it. Well, I say we start with the first myth and talk a little bit about what the heck a naturopathic, naturopathic, you're going to correct me on that, doctor or physician, (laughs) what that means and what that role is. Because I think there are so many just misconceptions about the type of care and the level of care that is provided and how it is that you do work with patients. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, a license, I want to make that distinction. A licensed naturopathic doctor is uh, a practitioner who practices natural medicine. Now, in terms of our training, the first two years of our training is similar to conventional training where we learn about all the basic sciences and then we go into the clinical sciences after that point. And then we study more of uh, the natural modalities to promote health and to promote healing. So when it comes to uh, naturopathic care, it's all around treating the cause. That's a, a heavy philosophy and also a lot around prevention. And so when you're seeing a naturopathic doctor, uh, of course, there's a diagnostic piece in terms of physical examination and laboratory evaluation and imaging studies and all these important things that we're accustomed to kind of in that conventional world. But we apply our natural philosophies in terms of stimulating the the, the body to heal using things like nutrition, using things like herbal medicine, physical activity, acupuncture, just a whole host of uh, natural modalities to promote health and to promote healing. I think that oftentimes there's this misconception that the world of naturopathic medicine is not in alignment with science. And I think that is also a huge myth. And I was very fortunate that the integrative oncology clinic that I went to, my medical oncologist worked very closely with a Fabno. And so I had the benefit of both. And there was this understanding of kind of the the, the roles that each person had. Can you talk to us a little bit about the science element of it that, yes, this is also based in in science and you are licensed and it's, uh, you know, not just some some woo woo stuff? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so definitely, you know, evidence based medicine is key when it comes to natural medicine. We're not basing our recommendations on testimonials, for example. So, you know, following the research very closely. So, you know, in terms of uh, how I practice as I'm working with patients, whether I'm working with a patient that's diagnosed with breast cancer or a patient that's diagnosed with uterine fibroids, you know, following the research very closely to determine what's going to be most effective and what's going to be safest. So following the research studies is definitely very important in in naturopathic practice as well. I love it. Thank you for that. And I know that that is one of the things I really appreciated. And and again, being in that environment where I had a medical oncologist who was encouraging me to have conversations with the Fabno. Okay, so I've tossed that word out a couple of times. What the heck is a Fabno? So a FABNO is a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. And it's basically, if you think about naturopathic medicine as kind of this wide or this broad umbrella, naturopathic oncology is a specialty uh, within that umbrella. And uh, there's probably a couple hundred of us throughout the country who are board certified in naturopathic oncology. And so when you are a FABNO, that means that you have qualified to sit for an important uh, naturopathic oncology examination, which means that you have seen a a certain number of uh, patients with cancer, meaning that you have um, a robust kind of um, experience with dealing with different cancer types. You sit for the exam, you become certified. And then uh, after that point, there there are things that you have to do to maintain that certification. And of course, there's renewal, renewal of that certification as well. But long story short, Fab knows are naturopathic doctors who specialize in integrative oncology care. Awesome. And when we say integrative oncology care, if I can say it, when we say (laughs) integrative oncology care, we should probably define that too. What does that mean when we talk about an integrative clinic or integrative care? Yeah. So, you know, there are different people will have different kind of definitions when it comes to integrative oncology or integrative medicine. But I think that we can all agree that it's all around using all the tools that we have available to, to promote health and to promote healing. So that means, you know, conventional care. So for example, most of the patients that I work with are receiving the standard of care, whether that's 
chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, targeted treatment, surgical procedures. So you have that piece, but then you also have natural medicine. Now, natural medicine can safely be used with conventional treatment. Uh, so that can mean nutrition, that can be, mean supplementation, that can mean acupuncture, that can mean meditation. So just pooling all of those things together so that patients have a complete, comprehensive plan of, of care. That, that, that's what integrative medicine is all about. So it's not one or the other, it's, it's everything. And that also includes nutrition. Absolutely. Nutrition is the the foundation. There's always an opportunity to use food as medicine. I love it. I think one of the other myths that I do want to tackle, especially as somebody who had the the benefit and the opportunity of working with uh, Fabno and also with the medical oncology team, is that I can just take any supplement. And I'm so fortunate that my plastic surgeon, she has this wonderful sheet every time I went in for surgery of the long list of supplements I needed to stop prior to surgery and also why I needed to stop them. But I will have people ask me a lot, well, what did you do? You're six years out. What did you do? And I always say to them, it's absolutely, we're all different. Our cancers are different. Our bodies are different. Our treatments are different. It's so important to find a person to have that conversation. And so I think the myth that I kind of want to tackle here a little bit is that just because it is natural doesn't mean that it's okay. And you can you can have complications with some of the other, uh, especially conventional treatments. So it is important to see an expert and have that conversation. And that is probably the critical part of the integrative element of that of that care. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's all around individualized care. So just because, you know, I may recommend a B-complex or turmeric to one patient doesn't mean that I'm going to recommend that same thing to another patient with the same diagnosis. So you definitely have that piece there. You know, we're taking into account the patient that is sitting before us. So not only the the diagnosis and the treatment, but what about comorbidities? What about uh, lab work? So pulling all this, this information together, right? Individualized care is key. The other thing is, yes, it is true that not everything natural is going to be safe to take. Just like, you know, with medications, we have to make sure that there are not going to be any side effects. We have to make sure that there are not going to be any drug and herb interactions. And, you know, that, that piece is really, is, is really key, especially when you're working with patients who are undergoing conventional treatment. You want to recommend things that are going to complement that care versus interfere with that care. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And, you know, peanut butter is not safe for everybody is sort of my comment on that. And yeah. that's without all of the other complications of of the other treatments and your body just going through everything it goes through physically and emotionally and mentally uh, with a cancer diagnosis. So how do you work with patients? I know you talked about individualized care, but do you tend to work with them before, during, after, and how do you work as a member of the conventional care team, especially if you're not in the same clinic? Yeah. So uh, all of the above, you know, uh, so when it comes to, um, you can see, uh, you know, I'm able to, 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 to work with patients who have a new diagnosis that want to get started on a plan right away. I work with patients who or they're just starting treatment. I've worked with patients who may, it may have been diagnosed five years ago. Now they're just learning about natural medicine. I work with patients who are in remission that want to do everything that they can to prevent recurrent disease. So there's always an opportunity to, to plug, you know, natural medicine or naturopathic medicine to incorporate it into a plan so that there's that piece there. And I'm sorry, I got so caught up in that. I forgot the, the other piece of the question. <laughs> no, I threw I threw a bunch out at once and I didn't I even know, mean to do that. I got I just, so excited about that part. <laughs> I'm just so excited about the conversation. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. I mean, one of the things yeah. that- Oh, um, I know what it was. <laughs> you've got it now? I, I, I just remember, yeah, about how uh, in terms of working with a team, even you're not, even though you're not in the same building. So that definitely takes a little more effort. You know, I, I uh, come from a, um, my career started in a hospital based setting where everyone was in, you know, the same space. So now it's just a point of connecting with medical oncologists. I always like to do that as I'm working with patients so that everyone is on the same page. And of course, that makes the, you know, the patient definitely feels more comfortable when that relationship is there as well. But making 
sure that the providers are communicating as much as possible. You know, I'm doing this. This is a rationale for that. Sharing research studies and other things um, in terms of the, uh, in terms of supporting our recommendations for patients. But definitely, you know, leaving that um, that pathway for communication open. I love it. And that is so huge and so important. And I think there's so much value in being able to to have the research studies shared and have a provider to provider conversation. I know even in my own experience, you know, providers, including you, all providers are busy. And when you're trying to communicate the information as the patient, it may or may not always come across as succinctly or framed in the way that is going to be most helpful uh, for moving that dialogue forward. So I think that that's really important to have your entire care team talking. That's, that's huge. Absolutely. One of the things I loved about working with a naturopathic physician or or oncologist is that I felt like in the whirlwind and absolute chaos of a cancer diagnosis, there were so many things that were being recommended or didn't feel optional, right? And so there there was this real sense of helplessness. And with naturopathic medicine, it was the one area where I felt like I could be a participant in the, an active participant in my care and in problem solving the situation and nutrition being a big part of that for me. And so when you're sitting down with a, a patient and talking about nutrition, what are kind of the things that you're evaluating and are you putting together, um, kind of loose recommendations? Are you putting together diet plans? Or is it more of a yes, avoid these if you can and eat more of this if you can? Kind of how do you approach that nutritional aspect? Yeah, so I, I like to say that I meet patients where they are, you know, um, because, you know, if someone is not ready to give up five things, it's not realistic to make that recommendation and not want to create a stressful situation. So um, I, def- I, def- I am definitely a believer in taking one step at a time and having that conversation. You know, when, whenever I'm making recommendations, I always ask the patient, what do you think about this? Is this doable? You know, can you add matcha green tea to your smoothie or, you know, the, these kinds of things and just being creative. Um, the way that I talk about food also is I, I recommend food, as I, as I, as I mentioned, uh, kind of like um, medicinally. So for example, I may, I don't give dietary plans, but I will say something like the cruciferous family, right? We know that the cruciferous family is like the most researched vegetable family when it comes to cancer fighting support. So I may say two servings a day is my recommendation, or I may, re- may, may make a re- recommendation for turmeric, get it into your diet, two teaspoons a day. So that's kind of, kind of my thing. I'm very passionate around the idea of using food as medicine because there, there's so many things to choose from and so many things that can be beneficial for breast cancer treatment and even breast cancer prevention. I love that. And it's also such an opportunity to to have, uh, dare I say, even some fun introducing new flavors and new experiences and and all of those things when it comes to to food and diet. And you're right. Um, and uh, you know, diet for me, I was one of those, and I and I'm not the only one speaking with other survivors that like there's just this big button that gets pushed, and all of a sudden you're like, should I be alkaline? Is that the diet? Am I supposed? To? And it's crazy because what's out there yeah. is is so extreme. Nope. You should absolutely be alkaline. Nope. Just eat pineapple for two weeks or two months or whatever it is. Don't do yeah. that, people. This is not a recommendation. I'm <laughs> I'm kind of just pointing out the different things I was told um, as, you know, helpful things that people tossed my way, you know, to alkaline to keto and everything in between. And so only eat bacon, only eat vegetables. <laughs> yeah. It can or, be pretty overwhelming, you know, it can be very overwhelming. It really, really can. And so I love that taking that approach, like even honestly, um, you know, sugar for me was something that I personally decided to remove from my diet. And that being said, there's only one thing I want post-op and I will eat yogurt covered pretzels for two days post-operatively. Who knows? (laughs) So, but your point of not, and actually I heard the same thing from my Fabno, like it's stress is bad. Stress yeah. Is so bad. Yeah. And it's not, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
So can we talk? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a minute? Can we talk about stress for a minute and sort of um, how that does impact the body or or some of the things that you do point out when you're talking with new patients? Because I will tell you, it's the most ridiculous thing when your uh, care team says to you, you have cancer and a lot of it. And by the way, you need to not be stressed out. And then you start getting the bills and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah, easier said than done, for sure. Yeah, you know, that that's definitely something that I address with every patient, whether it's general medicine or whether it's a, a cancer diagnosis, because stress um, may not, well, you know, s- stress does contribute to health imbalances, right? So when stress levels are elevated, it can lead to hormonal dysregulation, it can impact immune function, it can impact weight, I mean, all these kind of metabolic kind of changes that it can cause that are no good for any kind of condition. So, you know, I like to be um, realistic when it comes to stress management techniques and also, again, meeting patients where they are. So one person may say, huh, yes, I'd be open to trying meditation. What kind of resources do you have? Someone else may enjoy taking a walk instead or reading a book or watching a comedy. But Really, the in general, what I like to encourage patients to do is to dedicate consistently that carved out time to do something that you enjoy doing. So I, I was uh, speaking with a patient um, maybe like two or three weeks ago, and I'm like, well, what do you like to do? And she said, well, you know, I used to do X, Y, and Z. I haven't done it, you know, in months. Well, bring that back because when you do, even if you spend 10 or 20 minutes doing that thing, whatever that is, you know, it makes us feel happy, it brings us joy, and it definitely helps to relieve stress levels. So even if it is just carving out that small amount of time, you know, to do whatever that thing is, that that is a prescription in itself. I love that. And so important, the science behind walking and and stress is not just in a cancer-related focus. The science around that for longevity and health is, is huge. Yeah. Hey, Tammy here. Look, I know from personal experience with breast cancer how challenging it can be to get back into shape or frankly, even get motivated to try before, after, and in between procedures. My friend and fellow survivor, Susanna, she gets it too. Susanna created RecasaFit, which encompasses belly dance and core fitness into one intensive workout for improved stamina, range of motion, technique, posture, physical expression, and strength. RecasaFit can easily be modified to meet you wherever you are on your path to reclaiming your health. And for our listeners, Susanna is offering 30 days free. So what do you have to lose? Check out the monthly subscription with unlimited access as your gift of health today at www.recosafit.com. This won't last forever, so visit www.rakasafit.com to receive your free 30 days to better health through the holidays and beyond. So... This takes me as someone who I I have actually seen um, naturopathic physicians since I was in my 20s. Obviously, I didn't start, I didn't have a need for a naturopathic oncologist until I was in my 40s. Um, But I have always had elevated cortisol levels and I had no idea until I started to see this provider what just sort of havoc that would wreak upon my my entire system and how complicated hormones are. And then, and so that was sort of the easy thing of, you know, I say easy, it wasn't, but it was an awareness thing. I didn't know that I, I had basically a high level of PTSD that was creating this and we addressed it. And then later, you know, 20 some years later in my forties, being diagnosed with an estrogen progesterone positive breast cancer and hearing um, sort of inconsistencies sometimes with recommendations on what I should or shouldn't be doing. And more so kind of after being released from cancer care and no longer seeing oncologists and, and those folks, talking with primary care providers, and it seems like hormones are really sort of a subspecialty when it comes to conventional care. And 
also something that when you say you've had an estrogen progesterone positive cancer to a primary care provider, they're pretty much like tapping out. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? You you need to see an oncologist or a specialist and maybe not for everybody, but that has been my experience. But you actually do work with hormones and take a deeper look. And this was something you and I had had a side conversation about because I'm wanting to learn more because it is more, as you were explaining to me, more than a blood test. And it's more complicated than just testing one thing. And so I really wanted to invite you to spend some time talking about hormones and also not just the testing of it, but um, you know it, whether or not nutrition can play a role in also helping us with hormone balance, especially as I get close to uh, menopause here. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, when it comes to hormones and let's say um, ERPR positive breast cancer, I mean we know that estrogens and progesterones can uh, potentially stimulate breast cancer cell growth. So that is important to monitor, but there are other factors as well. Those aren't the only culprits, right? But it's something to, that that's important to pay attention to. So when it comes to testing, there are certainly, you know, blood tests that you can do to evaluate and certainly um, urine tests that you can do to evaluate. Now, the urine tests give us a different perspective compared to blood. The urine will tell us how much, you know, uh, how, how well the, the hormones are being metabolized and eliminated. And from there, you can kind of... Um, make recommendations based on that information. Uh, Now, when it comes to um, natural medicine and um, hormones, uh, there are a a class of nutrients, herbs, uh, certain antioxidants that do act as phytoestrogens, right? So that would be things like soy, for example, is a phytoestrogen. Um, The lignans uh, and flax are phytoestrogens. Red clover has phytoestrogens. So now the phytoestrogens don't act as our kind of regular endogenous estrogens do. And I think that when people hear phytoestrogens, they get really nervous. Like, for example, soy has a horrible reputation because of for this reason. Uh, but the thing with the, the plant-based kind of phytoestrogens is that for, mo- for the most part, what they do is they can bind to uh, hormonal or estrogen receptor sites which will block those endogenous hormones from stimulating those sites, but they're not strong enough to actually stimulate a proliferation. So they can, they can actually be proliferative. I'm sorry, they can actually be therapeutic when it comes to estrogen kind of dominant, you know, conditions like breast cancers. Uh, The other thing is that when we, when we are concerned about elevated hormone levels, like elevated estrogens, there are foods that we can use to help to, metabolize those, uh, those extra estrogens and eliminate them. You know, so I mentioned the cruciferous family a, a bit ago, that that is a big family when it comes to supporting estrogen metabolism and elimination. Um, and there's a number of other foods that, that, uh, that I use in my practice. There are certain herbs that can help to facilitate, you know, that, that elimination as well. But to your point, you know, hormones are definitely important to evaluate. So not just estrogens, not just progesterone, but also cortisol, like you mentioned, that's a big one. Cortisol is something that our bodies need. You know, it's a good thing when it, you know, when it, when it's uh, stimulated acutely, but when we have chronic stress, which leads to chronic, chronically elevated cortisol levels, that's when it becomes more problematic. So looking at that, the other uh, hormone that I like to pay close attention to is insulin. You know, insulin is another hormone that our body needs. It's a good thing as long as it's not too elevated, but when it becomes chronically elevated, that's when it becomes problematic. So having kind of a broad view of these kind of uh, big kind of players when it comes to breast cancer is, is definitely very important. I appreciate that so much because I do think that it's too often, even on our side, um, the patient side, you know, we, uh, we get focused on one or the other. And I was 97% progesterone positive, 99% um, estrogen receptor positive. Um, And so, hi, pretty high levels of (laughs) positivity for those receptors. And um, it would be easy to just kind of hyper-focus on just those things, but it is the entire system. And the kind of like things I didn't know before I was diagnosed with cancer how complicated the lymphatic system is and how complicated the uh, endocrine system is. So my my eyes as a patient and, and ad, self-advocate have really been opened to the opportunities um, for my own health there. And speaking of lymphatics, 
As you know, many of us who have been diagnosed with cancer, we do suffer some sort of lymphatic uh, damage, right? Some damage to our, our lymph system, whether it's through mastectomy, through sentinel node removal, things things like that. Of course, I and I had an amazing guest on, the lymphedema guru, and I will definitely post the, that in the show notes. He's phenomenal. It's what he does. He writes, um, his name is Joachim Zuther. I'm probably butchering his first name. He's Joe Zuther, and he writes a textbook, actually, on the lymphatic system that is used um, in, in uh, medical schools. That being said, from, the, from your side, are there things that if someone is looking to sort of support lymphatic drainage in a system that is not 100% functional because it's had some, some damage to it, is, is that something a patient would talk with you about? You know, when it comes to that, I actually refer to my uh, my colleagues for that in terms of uh, physical therapists that specialize in lymphedema. I often refer out. There are um, certain herbs that can help to stimulate kind of lymph flow, but for the most part, I refer out even a massage therapist who who have that uh, oncology background. I love it, and and that I was just going to say that that's a, another really a wonderful thing when it comes to integrative oncology is that you know you have the opportunity to refer to you know different different areas of specialty to to support patients, which is fantastic. And I know that I w- I was very surprised at the number of breast cancer uh, survivors that I spoke with that that didn't that never had lymphedema mentioned to them as even a possibility, especially those that have had uh, sentinel node removal and not full nodes removed. And so it's sort of like my own personal advocacy, (laughs) just to make sure that men and women who've been through this know that it's a secondary lymphedema is a possibility for all of us. And, um, And it's so great that there are the massage therapist, the uh, lymphedema specialist. There are people that that's what they do. And it's so such a huge, huge service. So before we move beyond hormones, is there anything else that you would want to tackle there? You know, I, gosh, there's, <laughs> I'm kind of speechless because there's so much that, that um, you know, that you can do when it comes to those three kind of general categories, insulin, cortisol. Well, the cortisol, we talked about stress management. You know, I feel like there's always an opportunity to go back to nutrition when it comes to insulin. Um, but uh, but yeah, without going into too much detail, I think that, you know, we kind of did a good kind of general cover of the, of the hormone piece. Awesome. I definitely wanted to ask because not my area of expertise. And it's so it's such a, a huge, huge area of um, and often misunderstood. So oh, and the other hormone, how could I not say melatonin? Right? Oh, my melatonin, gosh. That's a- Sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene, yes, melatonin is, is super important. So, and actually in my practice, uh, sleep hygiene is like a prescription for every patient. It's so important for immune support, hormonal regulation. Actually, it, uh, it helps with the uh, regulation of estrogens and progesterone. So that is a big one too. I love that you remembered that. That was one of the first things that both the medical oncologist and the naturopathic oncologist said to me was that, and I, and I'll be honest, I hadn't been sleeping. I it was, I had finished my master's in business. I had run for state representative. I was working full time and I was exercising like a crazy person thinking that was taking care of my stress, yeah. not thinking that exercise is also inflammatory. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right, right. So three hours of sleep at night and my body was not able to to really uh, deal with it. So all of that was happening just before I was diagnosed. So with sleep hygiene, definitely um, want to ask you kind of what your basic recommendations are for that. And then I do want to talk about inflammation because I think this is another one that, that kind of gets... I don't know. I want to say there are a few myths around inflammation, but also it's it's kind of misunderstood what mm-hmm. inflammation is. So we'll start with sleep and then we'll move on to inflammation. Okay, sure. So my general kind of recommendations for sleep, uh, one is to get seven to eight hours of sleep each night consistently, dark, quiet room, very important. Um, no electronics, no TV, no phone, no computer, and really shutting those um, those electronic devices off 
at least 60 minutes before bedtime. Now that can be difficult for many of us, including myself, but trying hard to shut that off because the longer that you keep the, the electronics on, that actually delays the uh, the release of melatonin. So making sure that, that, uh, that patients are doing that and also making sure that we're keeping our phones away from our beds. So, you know, some people have to have their phones close by for whatever reason. So if that is the case, keeping it on airplane mode or just turning it off or just putting it in a different room. Uh, so those are just kind of my, my basic things. And then, you know, another thing is um, having a, um, a routine. So, you know, every night at bedtime, I take a bath with lavender oil, you know, essential oil. Every night at bedtime, I read a very pleasant book. I do a meditative exercise. So having that routine so that when you start to do that, your body knows, okay, it's time to go to bed. Your body starts to prepare to, to rest. Love that. And so let's talk about inflammation. So sir, so I, I mentioned exercise is inflammatory, that it does cause inflammation. And, and that's not saying exercise is bad. Obviously, we just talked about how exercise <laughs> is good. Um, and this is why I think there's confusion around inflammation. Surgery highly inflammatory. That's an inflammatory process. But also part of that inflammation comes through the healing process. And so Again, inflammation, not necessarily, is not bad, but we also know that high levels of inflammation in the body are not good or long-term inflammation. And so can we talk a little bit about maybe the different types of inflammation and especially the type that's not so good and some either some tools for mitigation or at least some things to be aware of so that we can have that, that bit of self-awareness? Sure. So, um, so you make a good point that... Um, not all inflammation is bad, not all inflammation is the same. So when it comes to an acute response, that's our immune system working. That's good. We need that response, right? The point is that, you know, you have the system, you have your white blood cells that come and you have these chemicals that are released to do the repair. And then that, that process is quieted and then you just kind of move on. Uh, but it, it becomes problematic when you have chronic levels of inflammation. So inflammation over long periods of time is when that becomes a problem. Uh, now, uh, chronic inflammation can act as a precursor or even um, an exacerbator when it comes to the cancer process and really any chronic condition that you can think of, cardiovascular disease, autoimmune, diabetes, et cetera. Uh, so that's definitely something that's really important to, to pay attention to. Um, and what's great is that there are actually labs that we can run to track uh, inflammatory levels. So that's something that I like to do with pretty much every patient. It acts as a wonderful objective marker to follow over time. Now, when it comes to um, simple practices that we can do, what that pretty much most of us can do when, uh, to, to reduce inflammation would be basic things like sleep, right? Sleep is like, it's so, it sounds so simple to do, but it's so hard <laughs> to actually do it. And I actually struggle with it myself. But Maintaining healthy sleep habits, stress management techniques, you know, those enjoyable activities, carving out consistent time for, for those things from day to day to day. Nutrition, right? So making sure that we're eating clean as possible and getting those anti-inflammatory uh, foods in. So that would be mainly, you know, your rainbow array of organic vegetables and fruit and spices. And there's a lot that we can do in the diet when it comes to reducing inflammation. And then you have um, uh, supplements. There are certain supplements that have uh, anti-inflammatory effects as well. So there's definitely a lot of opportunity to uh, implement anti-inflammatory support. And um, I, I probably implement that into to every patient's plan, especially as they're receiving conventional treatment, because you know many times chemotherapy, surgery, like you mentioned, radiation can actually cause an inflammation. So good news is that there are a lot of tools that we can implement to help. Awesome. And I I also want to talk about the power of something so simple like water. I think that yes. staying hydrated and we kind of overlook that. And I know that um, for me, green tea was one of the things that was um, recommended as well as really bucking up and making sure I'm drinking water. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. Water is is very important and often overlooked. Yeah, what do they say if you if you're thirsty, you're you're already dehydrated? Is that true? Yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they say the general rule of thumb is to consume half your body weight in, in ounces. There's no kind of science to prove that, but you know, that's kind of the the general recommendation. Um, and you know, the the neat thing about water too is that we can add things to our water for extra kind of antioxidant, anti-inflammatory kind of support, like you know, lemon slices, lime slices, basil leaves. I've added cilantro leaves to mm. to my water before, so cucumber so you know we can be creative with it as well call that my spa water (laughs) yeah right (laughs) miss those days (laughs) right (laughs) same here so I know that one of the things that I often hear is that it's complicated or difficult to find a fabno or a naturopathic oncologist um, in a lot of, especially rural areas. And you mentioned, I think you said there's a couple of hundred in the entire United States. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So the best way to uh, to find um, a naturopathic doctor, a fabno that specializes in, in integrative oncology, is through the um, Oncology Association of Naturopathic. Physician. So they have a website. It's uh, onc, A-M-P or O-N-C-A-N-P.org. And if you go onto that website, you know, there's a button there, find a provider, and it actually lists all the, the providers uh, throughout the country. And these days with telehealth, even if you are in a kind of a more of a remote area, there's still an opportunity to, to you know, to, to meet with a, a FABNO provider. Fantastic. And so, and you do telehealth appointments. And one of the questions I had is, so how does that work when you have, like, I know, I know I'm not sending you a urine sample in the mail. So, (laughs) (laughs) so not that you would necessarily end up with it anyway, I'm assuming a lab, but how would that process work? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to, um, labs, especially the, the specialty tests, like whether it could be something like, salivary collection or urine collection or even in the stool collection. So um, so there are different companies that you know that, that I work with and many of us work with where you can actually, they're very detailed directions. There's a way to collect that and have that shipped to the company for you know results and that kind of thing comes back to the provider and we can review that information. When it comes to uh, blood work, always have patients go to a local lab for a quest to have that work done. Those results are sent. So you know these days with technology, you know, we're, we're able to, to, to get these things done, even for, for folks that are far away. Awesome. And what is helpful for you? If I were to come to you as a new patient, whether it's a new diagnosis or like I'm, I'm six years out, what helps you? Um, what type of information would be helpful for you in having a consultation with a patient and helping them establish uh, some pathways to health? Yeah, so the first step and what I always request are uh, laboratory records. So what is the most recent laboratory or blood work? What does it say? What does your CBC look like? What, you know, how high is your glucose? What is liver function like? So getting those, uh, those results are, are very um, important prior to the initial visit. So collecting that information, collecting any uh, recent imaging studies that have been done, whether that's an ultrasound or a PET scan or CT, X-ray, whatever that might be. Um, and then also pathology report so that uh, I can have a good understanding of the, the diagnosis and all those kind of details that, that go along with that. So, you know, collecting that information, of course, looking at uh, the health, health history intake form. Um, and then usually what happens by the end of the visit, we talk about additional labs to order, but it's also, it's, it's always uh, very important and helpful to have the, the, um, the current labs available before that visit. Terrific. I want to take this moment and, you know, speaking to to the listeners, I use Citizen and for my medical records and I'm a six-year survivor, so I'm getting close to seven years and and it's possible my records could get tossed. My diagnosis was lobular, stage 3B ILC, and uh, with lobular, it tends to have a later recurrence pattern. And so I wanted to make sure that I had access to my records forever and always in the event that it came back. And of course, 
course, with cancer, it is one of those diseases where you are seeing multiple providers, multiple specialties, sometimes multiple clinics, especially if you live in a rural area, you might not go to a cancer care center where everything is all in one place. And so Citizen, which is C-I-I-T-I-Z-E-N.com forward slash Your Killer Life, just lets them know that you found it here. But oh my gosh, it is amazing because working with you, Dr. Keats, I could literally just send you a secure link to my medical files where you would have access to all of my imaging, all of my labs, all my pathology, all the things in one place where you would be able to look that up, which is absolutely incredible. And that goes for any any provider that I... <laughs> I feel sorry for the primary care providers because, you know, they look at my age and they're always like, oh, this is going to be an easy appointment and me and my three ring binder, which not anymore because now I have a link. But (laughs) they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I I wasn't aware of that, uh, that citizens. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's amazing. I will send you some information. And of course, for the listeners, I'll post that in the link. And I do have an episode where I spoke with them. They also do an amazing thing, a couple of amazing things, actually. Um, It is patient-focused, so you have control of your records and and who sees them. And they also cover the costs of getting those records, which can sometimes be an additional cost. And as a cancer patient, that's the last thing you want as you're trying to avoid stress. (laughs) And then the other thing that they do is they create a cancer care summary. And so that cancer care summary for the new provider, it literally goes through all the PDFs and all of the documents and it puts the information right there. You can click it and it will take you to the specific report that you're looking for. And then the other thing they do that is really cool is that um, clinical trials. So they will match you with clinical trials and they will give you a printout that you can take to your oncologist that will share with them what they, based on your information, all your medical information, what they believe would be a good match. And then the ones that might be a match, but maybe there's a test that's missing or, you know, a step somewhere. They, they aren't sure if it would be a match, but it could be. So it's a really amazing tool. And they started that with breast like cancer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you the information. It's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. So, all right. So, if, so if I were to work with you, obviously I'd be sending you that link and, yeah. <laughs> and you do a, um, a fr- you have a, a couple of different things. Like I need to go get your tea recipes. Cause I noticed you've got some nice uh, anti-cancer tea recipes, I yes, think is what yes, they're called. Yes. 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 Love my teas. But you also have a free like 15 minutes where if somebody has never been down this path before, they can do a 15 minute, I assume, online consult to see if you you would be a good fit for each other. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I offer a free 15 minute phone consultation. So, you know, for people who want to understand how can naturopathic medicine benefit me or what is naturopathic oncology or how do you practice? So I do offer that, you know, so, so that patients are able to ask their questions and then I'm able to share how I, how I support patients. Terrific. I love that. Oh my gosh. I know that I dated a couple of different providers before I chose my care team. So <laughs> it's really nice to have the opportunity to to meet somebody. And I'll be honest, especially with cancer, you're freaking tired. You're just tired and you want somebody whose energy is compatible, where you feel like you're being heard and that it's just a good match. It is overall. And I was like that with all of my providers from the oncology team to my plastic surgeon. I really... Uh, and frankly, to my massage therapist and chiropractor, to everybody I saw, I really needed that uh, to be that way for me. And where can people find you? So sure. So my website is Dr. Keats ND. So that's D-R-K-E-A-T-S. And as in Nancy B as in doctor.com. And so uh, for folks who want to learn more about how I function, they can find my uh, more information about my website there. If they want to schedule a 15 minute phone consultation, they can do that there. And that is where they can also find the free cancer fighting uh, tea latte recipes. Um, so I, you know, again, I'm always so excited when, you know, I can use food as medicine, whether it's recommending it to patients or even for myself. So putting those recipes together, it was a lot of fun, but for those who are interested, they, uh, that the, the free recipes are there on that website, drkeedsnd.com. 
Fantastic. And you've also, you're out on Instagram, you're out on Clubhouse. I see you in all yeah. the places. Yeah. yeah. So on uh, Facebook and Instagram, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at Dr. Amina Keats, Dr. Amina Keats. And Clubhouse, I'm Dr. Amina. I have to get used to Clubhouse, this new platform here. But yeah, that's my info. <laughs> I know I'm a, I'm still adapting to, but I'm I'm loving it, and I appreciate so much you coming into one of the clubhouse rooms that I had and having a conversation with women out there. and And for those of you who are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, just knowing that Clubhouse, which is rolling out to Android soon, by the way, I was just in a room today, and there was an Android user excited uh, rolling out the beta, so that's happening. But it's a really great way for us to connect and have some nice intimate conversations where you don't feel like you have to be made up for camera. You can just listen in and really have community. And so thank you so much for joining us in the room and talking about naturopathic oncology and what the heck a Fabno is. It was yeah, so absolutely. wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you bet. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? You know, I, I think we we pretty much covered everything. You know, I would just emphasize to, to people out there that, um, you know, there is an opportunity to use everything. You know, some people think, oh, if I do natural medicine, I can't do conventional medicine. Or if I do conventional medicine, natural medicine is not safe with it. But, you know, you can use both of those things safely uh, for a nice, comprehensive, wonderful uh, treatment plan. So I encourage patients just to use all the tools that they have available. I love that. Me too. And I will say, I feel like I benefited from it and it was definitely a perk for me. Dr. Keats, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and speaking with my listeners on this really important topic, sharing so much information and I could totally pick your brain and I probably could have made this go for two hours or more. And by the end, you would have had a book draft, but... <laughs> I just want to thank you. And again, listeners, you can find Dr. Amina at Dr. Keats ND, and that's D-R-K-E-A-T-S-N-D.com. All of that will be in the show notes below, and there will be a link to the website. Be sure to check her out, follow her out on all of the socials. And then thank you so much for listening to Your Killer Life. And if you haven't yet, please visit our YouTube channel and subscribe. It's one of the easiest ways to support the show. Subscribe and share. And don't forget to hit the little bell so you know that we have a new episode. And until next time, keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life.